Hey everyone and welcome to Developer Team. My name is Jonathan Cottrell and in today's episode, we're going to be talking with Tony Hillerson. This is part two of the interview. Uh, it's kind of a long interview. I, I really appreciate Tony taking out the extra time to detail all of these mobile app frameworks that he has written about in his book, Seven Mobile Apps in Seven Weeks. If you haven't read any of the Seven and Seven series, go make sure you listen to the first episode in this interview, by the way. But go and check out the Seven and Seven series. It's really cool. But uh, Tony's book, Seven Mobile Apps in Seven Weeks, has a really interesting take on mobile application development, specifically diagnosing what type of uh, framework you should use, which one you should pick. And we left off in the last episode talking about Android. And uh, we'll pick up right there in this episode. Today's episode is sponsored by FreshBooks, the ridiculously easy to use online accounting software designed to help people like you, creative entrepreneurs, get organized, save time, and perhaps most importantly, get paid faster. We'll talk more about what FreshBooks has to offer to developer T listeners later on in the episode, but let's dive right in where we left off with Tony Hillerson. Right. So I didn't, I didn't get to use Swift. Um, and I have played around in the past with using things like Scala on Android, but this is just plain old Java, but I will, I will say this maybe a little bit out of turn. Um, uh, if you've ever worked with Java, enterprise Java or something like that, got a bad taste in your mouth and, and thought Android's not for me because it uses Java, it's a really different experience using Java on Android. Um, it, you're really developing Android to the Android APIs and SDK more than you are um, writing Java, I think it feels like. Um, and they, they there's lots of things to make it uh, more palatable if you think that Java is kind of a showstopper there. Um, so yes, don't, don't, don't let that stop you investigating Android. Um, what I did for the Android, uh, uh, app is like you said, it's a currency conversion app. So I, I take, you know, uh, a, a, a floating point number and I got taken to task by this for, by a reviewer, but I didn't want to deal with, with big decimal, um, and confuse people. So Yes, you, you take a floating point number from a text input and convert it um, through a conversion, uh, a currency conversion API, which I believe is also hosted on Yahoo, Yahoo's uh, APIs. Um, what we get to do there on the Android platform is the same thing. We make a web request. So you, um, I, I struggled with this too. Should I use third-party libraries or should I not and try to do it as um, as as close to the 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 bare bones as as possible. Finally, I, I came down on the side of using third party libraries for Android because it's just what everybody does for things like the web request. So, um, I believe I used OK HTTP OK HTTP, which is developed by Square um, of of yes yeah Square of of many open source project fame and also a credit card reader. Um, so we get to see how that works. I actually used Square just before this interview. I was uh, paying a friend of mine. so it, It's opened up a lot of um, small businesses uh, give to give a better user experience for payments to people. I, I think it's pretty cool. And they've got a really cool technology team um, who, uh, who have contributed a lot to different uh, um, projects like 
Android code is is there's a lot of cool Square libraries. So I, I believe that I used OK HTTP. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you're <laughs> welcome, guys. Um, talk to me after the show. Um, let's see. Some I did an interesting thing there that that the reviewers seemed to like and I liked, but I wasn't able to really replicate on any of the other platforms. Um, I went through a series of of mistakes of rookie mistakes i called them <laughs> like here's things that it's going to as a new android developer seem like the right thing to do but it's not so let's do them and just just get this all out of the way do this do this do this now here's why those things don't work and and your intuitions um might get in your way to learning android um and that was a fun little little exercise there um for any for anybody who's ever done Android development, you know how hard it is to deal with, how surprisingly hard, not necessarily actually that hard, but still surprisingly difficult it is to deal with rotation when you're rotating um, the phone through different orientations. What Android does is completely tear down the context of, of, of the thing that's sort of like a view controller and throw it away and give you a new one when you rotate the phone, which is like, what? I didn't hear that. I, I I couldn't have heard that right. Is that really what they do? And and you have to, you have to deal with that as a developer, and it's kind of surprising for new developers. So that's that's one of I, I wanted to hit that for Android. Okay, on to the next one. I um, this one was was an interesting one to pick, um, but I wanted to stick with this theme of of covering native platforms. Um, so it, it just kind of made sense to me at some point I got my head around it. I'm going to do a windows phone app. Uh, why would I ever do a windows phone app? But, uh, I, I did and, and it was kind of fun. Um, but what was interesting, there's a lot of cool stuff. It, it, it's still weird for me when I talk about this, you know, Microsoft used to be the evil empire and all that kind of stuff. And now they're really an under, underdog and doing cool stuff. Um, like like going back to when Windows Phone first came out, like the the Metro design and all that, people were like, "Wow, that's actually pretty nice." We we never would have expected that Microsoft to come up with that, but it's 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 got a leg up on the other ones, and they had to kind of race to 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 uh, catch up, you know, visually and with ease of use and that kind of stuff. Um, so I thought, you know, that's enough of a reason to to see what Windows Phone is up to to these days. Um, and you know, Windows mm -hmm. Phone hasn't sold that well, so I don't know how many people are really thinking about getting on the Windows Phone platform. But what was interesting when I dug into uh, what is now the Win Universal Windows platform, so that's what, what this chapter is about, actually, is um, nowadays when you develop, uh, you don't develop a Windows Phone app separate from a, um, I hope I'm saying this right, from a from a desktop application, the same code base, the same APIs, and um, all the tools and everything for developing a Windows desktop app and a Windows Phone app are are identical. Um, and really, what you're doing is a lot more like um, I, I think like like responsive design for the web. You're thinking about screen size and maybe some capabilities of the machine that you're on, but it's the same code base, the same code, the same app. Uh, and that's that's new. That's brand new with the Universal Window Platform, Universal Windows Platform stuff uh, for Windows 10, and that was a lot of fun. So what I did did for this application, which is a a stock uh, a stocks application, so you can you know put in some symbols and see what the current price is, and it it starts out with uh, a couple indices, uh, like the uh, I think like the Nasdaq or something like that. Um, 
what I did was make that application um, work on a, a phone size screen and also a desktop size screen. So we dealt a little bit with how to how to um, do what, what the thing that's kind of like uh, responsive design for that platform. And that was that was actually fun. So I had fun with that. I had to deal with, um, you know, not not being a, a, a not having developed on a Windows machine for a long time and all that kind of stuff. But um, the tools are pretty good. So I think that that the fact that you can uh, develop a Windows app, desktop app and have it run on a phone or think, you know, if you do a little bit of extra thought and planning up front, have it be either a phone app or a, a desktop app is you know, I hope more compelling for that platform than just Windows Phone, which you know may or may not have been compelling. Now, now it's a it's a wider world that you can reach. So I think it was worthy of inclusion in the book because of that. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I think uh, just the fact that they have they have kind of uh, held on to that one third spot, right? Um, you know, we've basically seen. Uh, pretty much everyone drop out of this race and uh, the universal windows platform. Um, I, I think it, it ha- actually has a lot of interesting advantages and uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens next and, and the competition quite honestly, that they, uh, that they provide for Apple, especially when it comes to this universality uh, and also to, to Android uh, the universality of a given app. Yep. And now, you know, as things get into the home, uh, I don't know quite because I haven't looked into it. What do you have to do to develop an app that's a little bit different for TV OS for, for Apple's TV? Um, but there is some difference. And I know like you have to you have to jump through a little bit more hoop uh, hoop uh, development hoops to develop a, a an app for the Mac desktop as opposed to an iOS app. Like instead of you've got to break something out that's that's shared between them. You don't get to do it all in one project. I assume it's the same for TVOS, although I haven't looked into it yes yet. I actually have looked into this, and TVOS is an entirely different setup, and it's based on JavaScript, and it's uh, it's a totally different thing than uh, if you were to go and build an iPhone app. A hundred percent different. Okay, then I'm I'm way way off there but i mean at some point let's assume that they give you native apps on 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 apple tv like an app store or something right yeah then then you know the question is what what's development like well for windows and for windows desktop windows phone and for the xbox i forgot to mention that that's also an app an app uh, i i guess destination that's 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 their answer and it's already you just develop the app and you think about screen sizes and the rest is handled by us yeah definitely Okay, so that covers the the uh, the native platforms, and uh, now we can we can talk about the cross platforms, um, and, and just touch on each one of these and kind of what your experience was developing for Ruby Motion, Xamarin, and React Native. Yeah, so again, I, I broke the book into what I called platform native, which was my own word um, or own own phrase for this. I, I had to distinguish between. Um, the different native natively running apps for either built by a cross-platform tool or or built by the official tools. Um, and I forgot to call this out earlier, but this was one goal of mine for the book too, is I didn't want to deal with um, web view type um, frameworks. I'll, I'll call it out. I, like no, no hate or anything, but like 
uh, Cordova and PhoneGap, those types of things. I I don't I don't think they're the I think they're the right answer maybe for for prototyping and proofs of concept apps or something like that possibly if all you've got is web technology or web web background. But I really want to focus on like the the user experience is is so much better and you're never going to you're never going to catch the web up on on a mobile device um to native performance all those all those things like i just wanted to focus on apps that compile down and run natively and instead of apps that are that are run inside of a web view to get the cross platform um sure so that's yeah. why that's why i had to come up with this 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 idea of platform native those are the official natives or whatever uh, ios android U- uwp and now cross-platform. This is the second section of the book. So um, I think it was just a no-brainer. I had to get Ruby Motion in there, um, and it's really cool to play around with. I, I, I played around with it when it first came out. Um, uh, I think it was called uh, Coco something. I, I I can't remember what it was called. It was cool. Um, Ru- I, I, I think uh, one of them was called. Oh, it was Ruby Mind is the wrong thing. That's the IDE, isn't it? Yeah, that that is an IDE. Um, it was like I'll have Coco to look it up. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. remember. But uh, the guy who, who who built Ruby Motion uh, came from Apple, and he had, he had done some work there, getting you know Ruby working uh, for building Cocoa apps. Was ah uh, yeah. About. Mm-hmm. So um, that was pretty cool. But then he turned it into a business. And it looks like it looks like Ruby Motion can also do TVOS and Watch OS uh, as well now. By the way. And OS 10. Yeah. So what you're doing is um, all. I mean, underneath it still it still uses the uh, the uh, the same tools that an iOS app uses. So uh, t- for building. So when you're writing in Xcode, when you're writing in iOS, there are some tools now that have kind of been broken out. You can compile from the command line um, using something called Xcode Build, and there, there's different tools that you can look at it as like a tool chain. And he and I, or he, I guess there's probably more people on board now than just the original creator, but, um, those tools are used underneath the covers by Ruby motion. Um, so with Ruby motion, I built a to do app, which is like a good, you know, that's, that's at some point, that's probably what you're going to build as a hello world app on, on whatever technology you try out. Um, so I figured why not do the same for Ruby motion? So that's a, it's a uh, to-do app that runs on both iOS and Android, and it, it started out on iOS uh, originally and went for you know got fairly popular with people who who like Ruby as I do, and um, wanted to use that to do iOS applications. But then uh, it became truly, I, I, or at least got into the uh, the game of being cross-platform when it released support for Android. Uh, I believe I might get this wrong. It's either 2012 or 13. So that that made it possible to include it in the book. Although I probably would have done it even if they still only did iOS as as kind of a comparison point. But um, so with Ruby Motion, you you write in Ruby, you structure your project as a Ruby project. Um, it is running in a Ruby interpreter on the native platform, um, but it is not. It's not Matz's Ruby. It's not the the official Ruby. There are some APIs that are missing that you might be surprised about. Um, so uh, that's one of the things that I looked into is 
how do you again again how do you pull something down from the web and and deal with it and right and right away like you don't do it with uh whatever uh native ruby library that you would yeah net http i don't think is available i think you have to use something like i, th- I believe it's called bubble wrap is that right well so this this is where i i i made a, a choice not to get into the third parties i didn't do any okay. third party code with ruby motion although that would be the that would be the first smart thing to do is to look into that community because there's a, there's been a lot of stuff that's um that built built up by the community to to solve these kind of problems Sure. Um, yeah. But I wanted to stick with what what I can do uh, with just uh, without getting into that, because I, it would right off the bat, I would be faced with, well, which one do I pick? And 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 is that going to is is that going to be the wrong choice in some people's minds and all that kind of stuff? I didn't want to wade in that water and and make it uh, a, a, the, the book readers problem yet. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. That's something that they, they should go on and do next. I think is figure out what what third party platforms or third party uh, uh, tools they want to use for things like that. But I still did want to try to make as so the, so the 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 stretch goal for Ruby Motion in this book is to try to make as much of a cross platform code base as I could. And it turns out the answer is not a, a ton. It's not super cross platform. The, sh- the code shareability is 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 kind of limited um, by the fact that Ruby is running locally in in an interpreter and you don't get things like net http um so you have to so, so let me take a step back i guess what what's happening when i when i call a ruby function or make a ruby class or or um call a underlying api on the native platform with ruby is um that it's it's passing those calls through to whatever's underneath the the covers so if i I've, so what i have to do to make an http call is to figure out whatever i would do anyway on that platform um and then call those those libraries so what i actually did was to i, I believe i used uh I, actually i can't remember which one i used on android but i i, I used another third party on android so that it showed how to use some native dependencies and then I used uh, um, NS URL session, I believe, whatever it is on iOS, and and showed how to to make that call through from Ruby um, for that particular uh, problem, like pulling something down from the web. So and, and so that means that it's it's hard to abstract. Uh, here's my web request library across all the platforms because you have to at some point get down to what platform am I on and what am I going to do to you know fulfill the request here. But I tried to make that as abstracted as possible, and that that and and you can judge as the reader how far uh, I was able to get and how good that is um, to match the needs of your project. Um, but it, and just like you you've already mentioned, there's there's a there's a big developer community, which is one of Ruby Motion's big strengths, I believe. Who have, who have looked at these problems and, and came up with some solutions. Yeah, there's some interesting trade-offs. I've done a little bit of playing around with Ruby Motion myself, although it was a few years ago. And there's some interesting trade-offs. Obviously, you know, some of the stuff that you can do with like the built-in array or the enumerators, uh, a lot of that stuff is preserved. So if you really enjoy writing Ruby for, you know, the, the bulk of the code, it's going to feel very much like Ruby. But when it comes to, you know, the the rubber meeting the road uh, on some of the APIs and 
uh, even some of the the uh, extended module stuff that you're used to bringing into Ruby, some of that stuff just isn't going to work. Uh, and it and it's and it's not necessarily the fault of Ruby Motion. It's that that stuff is just not portable into uh, that iOS bridge environment. I, I'm not really totally up to speed ex- with exactly what is going on there, but you know you can't just bring code, bring that Ruby code in, and expect it to you know be able to t- translate over to that compiled code that you'll need uh, on on that native environment. So. Um, there are some trade-offs, obviously, but if you really, really love Ruby a lot, and uh, you know if if that's like your your kind of your favorite language of all time, then it's certainly something to to consider. Yep, and and I think I ran into that right away. So and I I don't know if this comes across explicitly in the chapter at all. I, I'm pretty sure it doesn't. But this is one of the things that you're going to want to know as you try out as you try out these cross-platform tools. Um, what, not, not like, is there a way to get it done? The The question is, how long is it going to take you who have a deadline, who has a deadline, your team has a deadline, how's it, how long is it going to take you to figure out how, what needs to be done? Um, and how comfortable is that going to feel? So, uh, like, is there a convention to, to do something cross-platform right off the bat? And do you have to think about it hard or are you going to have to, take some false starts and then, and then take a step back and say, okay, here's what we've got to do instead. And, you know, maybe those resources are on the web, but you just didn't find them. How, you know, how long is it going to take you to be an experienced Ruby motion developer because, or Xamarin or, or whatever, because that's, that's something that you have to, you don't just, this, this is a big point that I always have made about cross-platform tools. You don't get an extra platform for free. It's not that. That's not what you're getting. It seems like it, and that's the selling point. And to a manager or a product owner who's saying, "Well, let's just do, let's just use this tool, and then we'll get this extra platform for free," the devil's in the details. You have to not only be an expert on iOS and Android and whatever other platform that you want to work with, because you can't hide that. You have to know what the platform can do. You also have to become an expert in this cross-platform tool, and you also have to. Uh, there's some hidden cost in there for you to discover, oh, well, this is the right way to do it on this platform. And over time, you might get that and you might be, you know, a great Ruby motion developer and know exactly what you need to do to solve a certain problem. But until you get to that point, there's going to be friction. So it's not just with any of these cross-platform tools for free. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's it's one of those things. It's, there's always going to be trade-offs with any abstraction. It's not just when you're talking about native to you know, it's not just transpiling, right? Yep. Uh, or, or, or even just polyfills. Any abstraction at all, uh, there's going to be some kind of loss of, uh, you know, th- there's a translation problem there. And not everything is going to map perfectly one to one. Some things get closer than others, definitely. Um, you know, for example, the Scala Java thing. There's going to be a lot more that you can do uh, in Scala to approximate the, the resulting Java code. Um, because it was built for that. It was built primarily for that from the ground up. It would be like if Ruby was built as an abstraction for iOS from the beginning. Well, then you would never have net HTTP that doesn't work with uh, with that native environment because why would you build that, right? Um, so it's, it's important to understand that there's always going to be uh, some kind of trade-off when you have any kind of abstraction like this. 
Yep. It's all about trade-offs. You got to look for the trade-offs. That's what, that's what you learn over, over the years. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So Ruby motion. Yes. I think I, I had fun with it and, and I think I showed, um, some good, you know, with a little, maybe a little bit of my hand type behind my back without getting into the third party stuff. But I, I think, I think I showed like how far you can get towards a cross-platform application with that. Um, next I believe is Xamarin and, uh, there's some there's been some interesting news about Xamarin since I finished the book, which is the big problem with a book like this with so many technologies. They're all moving all at the same, you know, at the same time. There's always something is always going to be out of date. I just had to kind of accept that. Um, what uh, what was announced with Xamarin after I finished the book was um, uh, that Zam- uh, Microsoft just acquired Xamarin. So, um, oh, okay, yeah. Over the years, Microsoft has always been really sort of buddy buddy with Xamarin and and really close to the to the guys. And, and there's always spec speculation. Uh, yeah, at at some point, Microsoft's just going to buy Xamarin until the point where people are just tired of saying it and just kind of like, well, I guess it'll never happen. But they'll just kind of always have a partnership. And then they pulled the trigger and they acquired Xamarin just recently, like mm-hmm. a month ago. Um. So maybe you'll see that kind of move closer and closer to the uh, the universal Windows platform is 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 the possible that's, concept, yeah, that, right? Yeah, I mean that's got to be the guess. That's the speculation. Is um, at least on my side uh, is they're they're in they're in a they're in a clear third position on the mobile the mobile race. Um, but they've got some cool stuff coming up with the the universal windows platform that gives you you know the ability to build on on more than one of their screens and Xamarin is really good at w- using the same technology C sharp and and works really integrates with uh, Visual Studio and all those kind of things and it's good at getting that code base to iOS and Android screens so they're they're making more of ubiquity play with this this is what it seems like um yep sure and i don't which is a good play for them i think as as the third player like you can't compete on whatever else that you're not catching people's eye with the coolness of the devices obviously you're whatever's going on that's it's a good play to make um so leaving that to the side because we don't know where that's going yet and it'll be interesting you know if i have to revise this at some point in the future but leaving that to the side what xamarin is about is writing it's it's really it ter- it started out as as a way for C sharp developers to be able to write iOS apps and then they added you know they had to they added the Android support after that and um, it was a way for those guys to be able to get in on the game but even if you if you weren't coming from that you don't really have a taste for C sharp or something like that it still is a pretty buttoned up um, solid development platform for for building apps for for both Android, iOS, and Windows Phone, um, sharing the maximal possible code. In fact, uh, what, so what I did was, in the first day, I start out with what what you you which you sort of the the standard um, beginner Xamarin project, which is to have three code bases, or I'm, I'm sorry, three projects. One is an iOS app project one is an android app project and the third one is a shared project called a uh, um, a pcl or a portable compiled library 
portable com- portable component library, something like that. It's PCL in any case. And the idea is that you put all of everything that can be shared into the portable library code, and then all of the 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 bootstrapping and and some of and all of the view code, I believe, um, is is a good is a good I guess heuristic for what falls into the the uh, iOS and Android specific projects. Um, yeah. And then from that, you can share. So you can share what should be shared. It's the business logic. Uh, you know, this is what the the shape of the API is. I don't have to write that twice. I can pull that down and use. Um, uh, so, so when you run a Xamarin application, it's actually running .NET natively okay. on, on iOS or yeah. Android. Mm-hmm. So you get access to all of the .NET library. Not all of them. I think there's some like surprising things that you need to know about them that I didn't get that deep into. But um, it's it's it's. No, you don't have the Ruby Motion issue, or, or you might. I guess maybe what you're saying is you might have some of the problems of the Ruby Motion when, in terms of C sharp, some of the stuff in C sharp or in .NET, it may not necessarily be available to you. Right, when the .NET component that you're expecting to be there isn't there, you're kind of in trouble. <laughs> I think is how it, what it comes down to. But I'm, I'm not quite sure on when that happens. But for things like loading something from the web, you're covered. So it's a little has a little more coverage and parity with what you're used to then. Yes. As a .NET developer, you would expect to have this certain library or, or API. Um, I, I don't recall what it is because I'm not a .NET developer um, off the top of my head, but you're, you, you, you expect to make a, a web request this way and you can. So that's, that's kind of the idea. So like my, sure. the API code, I, I, I uh, consolidated all of that, like the, the, the data models that describe um the uh, request. So what, uh, actually, let me let me describe this real quick. The application is a calculator that I built, um, which allows you to. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's just a it's just a calculator application, um, and I went really really far before I actually went to making a web request. And then when I made got to the web request part, I showed where that that can be shared and everything. Um, but what I did is I went back and reused the currency conversion API so that you could like convert from dollars to euros within the calculator so type something up and then convert it to mm-hmm. euros or, or the other way around um so that was the that was the uh, a- the api request i made so that's totally shareable i can i write that code once and do the the json to native object translation once and i can share that code across ios and android and that's pretty cool and then um there's also a product called xamarin forms or xamarin.forms um, which allows you to write um, totally cross-platform UI um, to a pretty pretty far um, pretty uh, a pretty good extent. You can share um, wh- what they do is you you use components that uh, they've defined and they do the translation behind the scenes to like a UI text field on iOS or a, a text text view on Android. Um, those are the underlying, you know, type something into a text field type components and you use their text field component and they do the translation underneath to say, okay, I mean this on this platform and this on this other platform, um, which is pretty cool. You know, as far as that goes, uh, which mostly deals with components and layouts and things like that, um, which will get you pretty far, but uh, there's still, you know, ways that you can build uh, whatever custom stuff that you want to do. So I think at the end, I, I end up with 
um, pretty much almost a hundred percent completely shared code base across a hundred of uh, iOS and Android with the differences dealt with in fairly nice ways with using conventions that they allow you to deal with. I, I can't recall quite what those are. Actually, I think at least one of them is if, if I'm making a call out from the emulator, uh, the Android emulator, I need to use some weird local uh, IP address, which then gets translated to localhost um, just because of how it's a, it's like a VM under there. And on, on the iOS simulator, mm -hmm. the, the, you can just call localhost cause it's a simulator, not an emulator, not a VM. So that was, that's like a cheap example, but still I use that as like uh, a way to write into the code base, some platform specificity. And that was a, you know, to show that. Yes. So that, that was a fun little example to build yeah for sure and and especially good for .NET developers uh if if you're a .NET developer and you're interested in doing native um definitely go and take a look at, at xamarin yep it's it's i mean i'm i have to admit i'm not a huge fan of .NET. oh there's some really cool features when compared to java and i'm, I'm getting more and more converted uh, or at least like able to say yeah it's definitely definitely got other ones beat um you know, mostly because I'm not coming from a Windows background, develop on Mac and stuff like that. But it's it's a it's a very it when when somebody comes to you as a customer and says we must have this on two platforms and you must do it quickly and um, you know what can we what what's a great answer for a cross platform tool? Um, Xamarin is a really good answer. Right? I would say I would say uh, even beyond that. If there are developers here who, uh, you know, developers listening to the show and you have a .NET like day job, right? Like you're just developing every day in .NET and you want to break out and do something on the side, this would be a fantastic option for you because you're not going to have to spend a bunch of time ramping up into, you know, native development. You may be able to get started on whatever that side idea is that you wanted to build in your in your free time. Yes, I think if that's if that's your profile, then that was that was who Xamarin was written for. It was written for you, and also you know, if if there's you know a development team that already knows .NET and needs to maintain the application, if like in a client services type environment, then definitely Xamarin's the right choice. Today's episode is sponsored by FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the ridiculously easy to use online accounting software designed to help people just like you. You can create and send an invoice literally about 30 seconds and your clients end up paying you online. That means that you end up getting paid a lot faster than if you had to wait for a check, for example. Now, if, if your client forgets to pay you on time, FreshBooks will handle that awkward conversation so that you don't have to call them up and ask for your payment. FreshBooks will do that for you. FreshBooks also helps you take care of your expenses. They have a mobile app where you can take pictures of your receipts and you can automatically import your expenses directly from your bank account statement. And this makes things much easier for you. Now, during the workday, you can track your time with FreshBooks so you know exactly what you did and when you did it and all of the little details about your cash flow are kept in one place so FreshBooks knows exactly what invoices you sent, when you sent them, who's paid you, and who owes you what. Now, FreshBooks is offering a free month to developer T listeners. You can get paid today 
and you can start sending invoices today by going to freshbooks.com slash developer t claim your free month and make sure you tell freshbooks that you're coming from developer t in the how did you hear about us section when you sign up that's freshbooks.com slash developer t and of course that link can be found in the show notes at spec.fm so the the exciting one for me i've been kind of just waiting for for the next one because i personally i really enjoy this next environment quite a bit and we were talking before the show it sounds like maybe react native was one of your favorites out of out of this uh, group of seven at least for your particular situation uh so let let's talk about react native yeah I'm, i don't i'm not afraid to say that i did and really enjoy uh I probably enjoyed learning about React Native the most out of all of the technologies in the book. I'm not going to say it's my favorite technology because I don't quite know what that means uh, from from the seven in these book. Yeah, yeah. It's like trying to pick a favorite language or a favorite color, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. So that's hard to say that it's my favorite platform, but it was the the most fun I had learning the technology of any of these in this book. Um, the, the thing that I enjoyed the most about... Uh, uh, I'm sorry, React Native was the way that they thought about the development tool chain. Um, you can tell they're coming from people who are working on the web and using web tools and expecting to have things like, uh, like I, I made a change in the code. I just want the app to reload quickly. Like, where's my reload button in the simulator? Mm-hmm. I don't see it. What is this? It sucks. Why well, do I have to build this every time? Uh, so they wired that up for Command, you. Command Shift R. Yep. I, I want to see that M- move quickly. Yeah. Yep, it's 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 built right in from the from the from the um from the get go on both the the Android emulator and the the iOS simulator that you can just reload the code base or even have it auto reload and look for changes using Watchman, which is a, a Ruby gem. Uh, maybe it's a Ruby gem or or it's it's some underlying technology that's. Uh, no, I'm sorry, not Ruby. It's Node. We're we're in Node land now. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Yeah, so using uh, Watchman, which is watching for changes in the code base and saying and, and emitting some sort of event using this the underlying system capabilities to say, hey, something changed, reloaded in the simulator. Um, then I can just flip over and see it or have it side by side and see my my code change without me having to go through the whole compile cycle. All that stuff is really great. So what's happening there is that it's running, I believe, uh, a node instance in the native platform and you're able to um, so you're writing in, in JavaScript and you're, you've got a lot of the node stuff available to you. And that tool chain is pretty familiar if you're coming from that, that world. And, um, and they've, they've done a lot of stuff to, to give you, if you're coming from a, a web development background, things that you expect, you would expect to see. And that was really sure, cool. So yeah. you can just write in your favorite editor, a little shout out for Vim. If you want to write in Vim, you're, you're covered. And you just flip over to the simulator, and your code is is already already loaded up and ready to test without going through a compile cycle. And it's a really nice experience. So I liked I liked learning that. Yeah, for those of you who are not uh, familiar with Vim, you could also, in this particular case, you're probably using something like Sublime, and that would work perfectly fine for this too. Uh, I did a quick Google search uh, for for Watchmen, by the way, and it turns out that it's actually. Um, you can run it directly from the command line. It's actually only like 3.5% JavaScript. So it looks like maybe uh, Facebook has created some hooks into Watchmen and they're using that for that live reloading feature. 
uh, which is which is really incredible, by the way. I've I've done a little bit with React Native as well, and uh, uh, of all of those platforms, in terms of being able to do something quickly, it's amazing how fast you will move in the first two or three hours once you get up and running with React Native. Yep, that that was my experience. Is this is, is you know this this is uh, really refreshing coming from a an IDE and a compile cycle and all that stuff. They really put some thought into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other cool thing is, uh, I, I guess, you know, I have to, I have to admit that I haven't done a lot of modern JavaScript develop, or I haven't kept up as fast as the JavaScript community changes things, but you can use the, the, some really, uh, cutting edge features, uh, of ECMAScript, I believe 15 or something like that. Uh, ES fifteen, ES twenty fifteen, or something like that. What, what, the, whatever it's called. It's uh, you can use things like uh, uh, return types uh, mm-hmm. for your functions. Yep. You can use things like the the let instead of the uh, the uh, um, uh, I'm blanking on this var, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that that gives you, I believe, lexical scoping, which is sane, which has always been one of my problems with JavaScript. Lexical scoping is is insane. Um, like when I, you have having to do the whole, like, this is what I mean by this thing has always been one of my problems with JavaScript. So I, I think that, that they've dealt with that a little bit with the let keyword, I believe I may be wrong about that. Yeah. There's, there's some interesting stuff that happens in ES6. And, um, uh, that's another thing I can include in the show notes. There's quite a lot of, of, uh, interesting additions. The first time the language really has been overhauled, uh, at the language level itself in quite a while because JavaScript has basically relied on uh, browser APIs to evolve rather than the language itself. And now the language is evolving on a yearly basis. Yeah, and I think I I believe, like when, when Node came out, it was like, oh my gosh, these JavaScript people just won't quit. Like they've got to have JavaScript everywhere. <laughs> and it's, 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 it's weird and it's, you know, it's just like an excuse to have JavaScript somewhere. But it's, it's turns out to be pretty useful when you want to do things on the web, like from an API standpoint or, or driving a, driving a website, something like that. Like, I mean, this is all known and node has been around for a while, but I think one of the cool things from my perspective that node has done is allow people in the JavaScript community to see the need to evolve the language beyond what it is, what, 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 what already works in the, in the browsers. And yeah, I think yeah. that's what we're seeing with the, with some of these uh, these capabilities that uh, you called it ES6. I got to get my terminology right. Um, <laughs> well, it's ES2015, I think, officially now. So. Okay, yeah, that's that's the one we're talking about. Though those are those are the those capabilities are available to you when you write React Native. Um, so uh, things like defining a class instead of, I mean, with that with the with those class-like semantics when it's really, you know, it's still a prototype language underneath, but, but it looks like you're defining a class and that semantics look a lot nicer um, and, and reveal intent a little bit better, I believe. And then you can use that type um, in a, as a return type from a function and uh, a number of other features like that that are really useful. And um, that was, I guess, maybe a, a kind of a minor theme to this chapter on React Native was, was showing you know, uh, using those, using those, those features of, of sure. JavaScript. Yeah. 
Um, but the, the application that I built um, is a a little sort of note taking application, um, and what I did was uh, let's see. So you can you can create a note which has a title and a and then a body, and you can display that in a list. But then I went on to get into the location APIs mm -hmm. of the platforms yep. to grab the current location, so you can tag a note with a location similar to other note taking. Uh, applications like Evernote, for instance, and then at the end, I put that uh, put those uh, locations on a map, and I use a little shout out to MapQuest, which is my my employer. Um, yes, we're still around, and we've got some cool stuff. Uh, it uses the MapQuest API to do the reverse geocoding. Um, Very cool. From yeah. taking the location, uh, 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 the lat long, and turning that into uh, something to uh, uh, tag the note with and say this was taken at this this uh, um, location in the world. Um, so that that was an interest. I wanted to do that, even though I found out kind of early on that that wasn't going to work on Android. Um, mm, yeah, because this was I, first of all, it's hard to come up with seven apps to build. <laughs> And I, I came up oh, with this, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> this set of features. There's seven apps of the about the same size, particularly. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and 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 not just like because very early on, I guess this is maybe anecdotal, fun stuff people might want to know. Very early on, I I was kind of in the writing of the book. I came down strongly on I want to build the same exact application on every platform because I want people to be able to compare what it's like apples to apples. Um, and the, yeah, the yeah. series editor was just like, no, you're silly. Don't, don't do that. Everybody, everybody thinks of doing something like that when they get into this series, but don't do it. You're going to bore people and they're going to walk away. So <laughs> I, I, I struggled a little bit with it. Um, came back with different arguments, still didn't fly. Um, I finally came around to thinking about it and I'm glad that I didn't do it. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. Because it's it's a it's a better experience and it, and it doesn't cut in it doesn't take away from the comparability I believe. Anyway, it's still hard to come up with seven apps. So I I came up with this feature set before I realized that it wasn't going to work on Android because those the location APIs are a little bit behind um, from React Native. But I thought it was still worthy of including that feature set because um, the way that you access give me the current location. Um, pl whatever platform I am, I'm on, and also display a map view and and put these things on the map, um, are not they're not um, uh, platform specific APIs in React. They're they're so that means at some point I feel like that's kind of a a, a commitment on React's part to some point this is going to work on on Android. So I kind of wanted to maybe even though maybe that's not like the most successful. Uh, outcome if somebody really wants to build something cross-platform with map and location stuff right now um i think there are, by the way some ways around that by doing some more convoluted things like like building it yourself uh, mm -hmm. like building yeah. it, the translation yourself or, or the translation from react native to the native api yourself there may be some third parties out there that have solved this as well but i wanted to show you know even where react native doesn't have full parity across all the platforms um, here's the experience of running into that as a developer, because you may, and what does it look like when you run into it? So it actually fails gracefully on the Android side, kind of gracefully, like you, it doesn't crash, 
So that's a sure. Cool story. Yeah. <laughs> like, so like yeah. check it out. Um, and, and here's here's what you might have as an experience as a developer getting into React Native when it's not full full parity because it's not a paid product. It's Facebook is developing this because Facebook wants it and and believes that it, that open source is the right way to to get um, the community to, to get, grow things right to grow it and get they get something back from the community like they get something out of it too. Um, so you don't pay a dime for it. Um, where, whereas if you pay Xamarin, uh, they're going to be the ones that are, they're doing the work to make sure you get the cross form, the cross platform parity, but, um, it's still not that bad of an experience. Like you could still maybe find your way around it for, for like doing a proof of concept or getting, developing a startup type app from, from the ground up. Like sure. There's something you can do and still get that, that shared code base at the, at the end. Yeah, absolutely. So I thought that was a pretty important story to tell still. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I do think that uh, that for those who are looking into these cross-platform things, you're doing the right thing, in my opinion. That's particularly true for startups um, and, and true for smaller companies to look into that idea of, of potentially going with a, a cross-platform solution and the reason for that is because, you know, changing the code base in one place and changing the code base in two places for the same outcome on two different platforms, there's a lot of like dependency craziness that can occur. And uh, when you have a, a single cross-platform um, or, or, or cross-device platform that you can build on top of, a lot of that... Uh, management goes out of the window. And what that does, especially for the smaller companies, is it allows you to focus on those features rather than focusing on um, the implementation. And and part of the reason why you might eventually go to iOS specific or Android specific is to gain advantages of those native APIs uh, that may not necessarily have you know perfect parity with something like React Native. Yeah. And it, and Again, we're back to talking about trade-offs. It's an important important to understand what you're trading off. Like the cross-platform tools are not going to give you something for free. You're going to have to deal with it. So right. you have to yeah. know what those trade-offs are. But especially like the the case or the the profile of the of a hypothetical company that you just talked about, they've got a very important problem to solve as quick as they can. They have to get to market with their concepts so that they can start to see what the market thinks of it and then what do we need to do as a business based on what the market thinks of it and uh as as smooth and as quickly as they can do that will be all to the good so it's definitely that that profile of company was should probably think about um a cross-platform tool like don't don't just throw it out and they're they're i, I mean i've had arguments with people developers that are coming down on one side or the other and i'll play devil's advocate and all that kind of stuff and um, you, you've got to do the thinking, like don't throw it out, but also don't think that it's a silver bullet. You've got to, you know, take a really good uh, nuanced view of the trade-offs that you're, that you're looking at and a cross-platform. Yeah. So the other, the other alternative is to go with one platform um, first. Yeah. And, yeah. And there's been people who have written articles about this too. Well, yeah, you should do iOS first because look at the market and look at the experience and, and all that kind of stuff. Or, hey, no, you should go with Android first because of X. And, and then they sneer at each other across the aisle. Like it's, it's, 
that may not be the right answer either. I don't know. I, but, but a full, like a mature product shouldn't be on just one platform. I believe that pretty, pretty strongly. So you're going to have to think about it at some point. When, when do you think about it as goes into that trade-off? And I have to admit, by the way, that I, I, if I had to pick, um, being, I guess maybe being who I am or knowing what I know or whatever, I would like to have native <laughs> development platform native. So I would like to develop an iOS app and an Android app yeah, together, yeah. but that's maybe not the right business choice. You know, you, you <laughs> got to figure out what you're at, where you're at. You know, I like developing on multiple platforms. I like this whole polyglot idea. I like, I, I like that as a fun thing and, uh, as a fulfilling thing. But again, you've got the, I, I hope that this book helps people understand how to think about the trade-offs with, with enough information. That's, and that's kind of one of my goals. Yeah. And, and, and that's really um, what I wanted to get out of this interview was, you know, there's seven for a reason. It's not that we're trying to do a shootout. That's not the point of this book here, right? Uh, the point of the seven and seven series is let's experience all seven of these in their nuances and in their strengths and weaknesses and, you know, in their styles. Um, there's, there's a lot to be said just for preference for, you know, looking at code and saying, wow, you know, I like the way that looks on my screen and, and I would like to look at that code regularly, <laughs> you know? So, um, I, I think that's a really powerful statement that, uh, you know, this this is more about understanding and learning the process of of comparing the trade-offs. And that's what seven and seven allows you to do. Yep. It seven and seven as a series, another byproduct of look it, like this is there's so many things to be taken from this kind of way of looking at it. Like we're looking at seven different we've we've been talking about the business trade-offs. Like you've got to think about you're building an app, why are you building an app? You're building an app for your, you know, to grow your business, unless you're just having fun with it, in which case, you know, have fun. But if you're thinking about building a, a business, you've got to think about these trade-offs pretty, you need to have the right information to make the, the decision and then get going. So hopefully this can help do that. But then also coming to the seven and seven series, um, the idea is that you can look at what it's like using different paradigms and different different uh uh apis and different um different ways of looking at here's how we're going to solve problems like just going pairing all in in this this is more complex book which is maybe not necessarily a great thing than seven languages in seven weeks um although it's you know it serves a slightly different purpose but um, when you pair back all the the mobile platform stuff you're also dealing with different languages and different paradigms and stuff like that. And that's that's what people really liked about Seven Languages in Seven Weeks and the other Seven and Seven books is that I can learn how to think about things the way this framework wants me to think about it and then go to a different framework and say, oh, interesting, now um, I, I can think about it in this way and maybe also bring what I just learned from the other platform to my thinking about this new platform. And then at some point you become good at coming up to speed quickly with new technology that's a good byproduct but also you go back to your workaday language maybe you're stuck with an older older language that doesn't quite you know scratch the itch anymore but you can apply the thinking that you've picked up from discovering how this other platforms thinks about solving problems other language other 
what are the other idiom things about solving problems mm-hmm. and apply that to your your day-to-day language and that's another another benefit same thing with 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 looking at these different mobile platforms how does maybe you know you look at react native and you say dang they really solved this development workflow issue that's bugging me and i have to stick i'm not able to use react native at work but but i'm going to go sell to the product owner how important it is for us to to clean up this development flow and let's build in something like they've got for for you know automatic reloads because that would that would give you know increase our development productivity so you know i like the idea of just of just learning from these different platforms there's there's so much going on in uh, the mobile application space and it's important for I would say all developers to, to be looking and aware of of this space because it's you know it's uh, we can't just ignore the the uh, the massive nature of the mobile the mobile web first of all but also just mobile devices in general and that includes things like watches it includes things like wearables um, but it also includes the concepts that uh, that are available to us through mobile development, like mobile first, progressive enhancement. We're going to see a lot of movement towards this idea even more in the future that allows us to build, you know, one maybe two code bases that reach uh, screens of all sizes, from your watch all the way up to your television and everything in between, and all capabilities in between uh, natively. So. That's in the future for us. That's that's coming down the pipe, and you know th- these types of platforms, the ones that are in uh, seven mobile apps in seven weeks that Tony has written, uh, these are going to be the things that that kind of define the the first days of that movement, um, and it's already happening. It, it, this isn't something that's like happening in 2020. This is already beginning today. So um, go pick up the book if you're listening to this podcast, and you're interested at all in mobile development, uh, go and pick up Tony's book when it comes out. And Tony, uh, do you have about an estimation of when people can pick this book up? I believe that it should be, it's going to, you know, the final production and printing and stuff like that, mid-June-ish to end-June-ish, and it should be available soon after that on uh, channels like Amazon and some bookstores as a hard, or as a uh, hard copy book, a soft cover book, but um, you can also uh, go to the Pragmatic Programmer website now and and get it uh, in digital form and and um, and get the book later on when the book is released. Perfect. Yeah, and of course there will be a link in the show notes uh, to that Pragmatic Programmer link that Tony is mentioning there. Um, just a, a quick side note: Tony and Pragmatic Programmer. None of this is sponsored, and. Um, uh, I, I just believe that this is a this is going to be a great book for those of you who are interested in the subject. Um, Tony has has not given me a kickback or anything like that. That's not what we're doing here. Um, I just want to share this information with with all of you. And uh, Tony reached out to me, and I thought it was it was a perfect fit. So I'm very glad to have had you on the show, Tony. I have two more questions for you today. Um, and it's questions that I like to ask every developer who, who comes on the show and really every guest who comes on the show. Sometimes we have non-developers on the show. Um, so those questions, uh, the first one is if you could spend 30 seconds or a minute with every developer, what advice would you give them? Wow. That's a burden. That's a, that's a, that's a tough one to answer. Let me, let me, 
I mean, <laughs> maybe it's top of mind because we're already talking about it, but I think uh, the theme of what the seven and seven series is about is something I believe in as well anyway. And I think it would be as, especially for a developer earlier in their career is don't, don't stick with one technology, um, get into the polyglot mindset where I can, I can jump from platform to platform or language to language. Maybe it's not, not necessarily the case. Like you're not going to be an expert, if you if you just jump from one to the other but get in and be an expert in one and then go on to learn from a different point of view how this this completely different mindset like the difference between procedural programming and functional programming um understanding how looking at the world from different perspectives like that helps you solve problems uh and the mechanism by which you you get that is by by digging in and understanding what's different about this platform and you have to do that by by going through a few of them and as you start to exercise those pattern recognition muscles um that is that is something that you should as a developer foster because really a lot of what we do is is pattern recognition and categorization of stuff by that mechanism and that's going to make you a better developer by 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 learning more than just one platform language whatever it is yeah that's good uh understanding that our that our jobs are not just about platforms and languages but they're about the underlying principles that drive those platforms and languages to become popular and to become usable and uh and and functional is those are all incredibly important things uh for us as developers to be aware of so uh, that's that's great advice tony exactly your, your job is to solve problems so you know, understand how to solve problems. That's your, that's, that's going to make you a better developer. Exactly. The second question that I have for you, Tony, is uh, what do you wish more people would talk to you about? What topic uh, or, or concept do you wish more people would talk to you about? Hmm. Another way to phrase the question is what do you wish more people would ask you about? Oh, hmm. So I can I can go off the uh, the uh, I can take off the developer hat for a second. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, well, uh, one thing I'm interested in that I would love to talk to anybody about, and I go probably go out of my way to talk to people about whether they ask me or not, is uh, as a hobby that I've picked up recently. Um, or pursuit rather than hobby, I think I like I would like to say, uh, of historical fencing, which is very which interesting. Is, yeah, when I saw that there was this New York Times article that came out a few years ago that showed, hey, there's these there's these groups around the country and around the world that are starting to pick up um, historical fencing, uh, which means like they're gonna they're gonna fence, they're gonna fight each other with historical weapons. Uh, like the long sword or um, older weapons than than the modern sport fencing weapons, and make yeah. this kind of a sport and do it safely and all that kind of stuff, but like recover a bit of this history and and um, like the origin the techniques that that people wrote about you know up to four hundred five hundred years ago, um, and and see see how they can sort of make that um, a, a, how they can gamify it to the point where they can you know 
fence as if they were fencing like with modern modern sport fencing sort of in a more modern sport fencing uh situation but with the historical weapons um and it's called HEMA uh historical european martial arts and I wish people would ask me about it just because it would give me a chance to talk about it. It's, when I saw this article and I saw the video of, of this this small little tournament uh, in New York and people like fighting each other with long swords, I said, why didn't anybody tell me this was something I could do? This is awesome. <laughs> Where did this come from? And I, and I, I thought I, that this time was over. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I thought I missed the boat, you know, by being born in the 20th yeah. century, but I didn't. <laughs> so it's it's pretty cool. I, I'd love to talk. With so, them. are you yourself going to uh, going to actually participate, or or what's yeah? What's I have the been plan for, there for a year. There's a there's a, a club here in in uh, Denver, uh, Colorado, where I live, that um, that that does these these things. We look into, you know, they study historical treatises about how to how to fight with with these different kind of weapons, and then we uh, you know we do it. We spar. We learn the techniques, and then we 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 go at each other and it's, it's a lot of fun. And yeah, I would love to share with more people because I think they'll probably, a lot of people will have that same reaction. Like, what is this? This is awesome. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I think there's something really interesting about embodying and performing in order to learn. This is quite relevant to developers. We actually learn best by going in and writing code, right? Um, we can learn, history quite well you know actually going and seeing historical places for example but uh, what you're doing with this with this historical fencing you're embodying that that mindset and the same kind of physical actions and the same threats and the same sporting that's really quite an interesting way to learn about it yeah it's and that's that was one of the impetus one of the many impetuses i think that that people who originally started to do this was, was having like you see sword fighting in movies and it's awesome. And it's, you know, it's done for the glamor of it. And martial artists would look at that and say, you know, this is a little fake and that, that really wouldn't happen. But somebody probably said, or, or lots of somebody's said, what did they, what, what was it really like? What, what did, what did you really have to deal with when somebody stood, you know, stood up against you with a, a, you know, uh, yeah, 54 yeah. inch tall weapon and, and they were, they were going to swing it at you. Like, how would you actually deal with that kind of a thing? And what did people write about? And like one of the early man- manuscripts we look at, it was written in the 1380s. And that's, 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 it's interesting to get back in touch with that tradition that we've kind of lost. Not, not like you need to go out and wear a sword these days. So that's not like practical, <laughs> but it's, but it, it is, it, it is a way to like, to to get in and learn a, like a, just a bit of what life was like back in those days they had to deal with yeah. you know this stuff more often um being called up and told to fight for your lord or something like i don't know you know not th- all that stuff is super interesting to me but you get to go in and and try to get yourself in the the mindset of looking at this wood carving or this wood cutting from 400 years ago and it looks a little weird that uh, there wasn't a great great artist so i'm not quite sure what this guy was actually trying to say should i stand exactly like that or was he just kind of bad at drawing um what's the what's the (laughs) what are the martial principles that we know that we can apply to this and say well i think they mean this and that that's a Mm -hmm. lot of the sport is really interpretation and like that it's really getting trying to get in the heads of the people who did this you know for 
either a living or or whatever um or just had to had to fight and had to know how to deal with it 500 400 years ago and that's that's pretty cool sounds like a lot of fun so if you're out in denver and uh you're particularly interested in uh what about what period was this you said well so i mean we we study a, a, a range of weapons that probably so the manuscripts that we can we actually look at there's one written in the 1380s that's probably the oldest and then stuff written all up into the you know the 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 19th century for for some other weapons so it's it spans a really wide range the sweet spots probably in the 1500s something like that the 1500s perfect yeah, yeah. so for those of you who are interested in the hand-to-hand combat of the 1500s particularly <laughs> and you also live in Denver you should probably reach out to Tony because he he has a lot to talk with you about and really anybody who wants to talk about something more than code you know Tony and I were actually talking about this before the show having something beyond just code that you do it, it's a pretty healthy idea um, sometimes you know taking off the hat of the developer when you come back to development you have new context. It's like cross-training uh, for your for your developer job or whatever it is that you're writing code for. Uh, you can learn a lot outside of the editor. You can learn a lot outside of your browser. Um, so go go and find something else to do every once in a while. You know, it's it's certainly a healthy thing. So absolutely, very interesting stuff. Well, Tony, thank you so much for being on the show tonight. Uh, it is night when we are recording this, so uh, I, I appreciate your time. And uh, thank you so much for writing a book about these these seven different frameworks that people can learn about. Uh, and and I, I appreciate your time tonight. Thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate the opportunity I, I, to just talk about it. Like you said, this it's not really I'm not I'm not sponsoring it by the book, but instead what we're, we're getting together as developers to say, you know, this is a really important idea the the idea of being a polyglot and, and experiencing different frameworks and and things like that that's that's really what what this is about and i really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it of course yeah and uh if people want to find you on the internet how can they find you on twitter uh my handle is t hillerson and i believe i mean i mean on facebook as well but that's more for family and friends uh, but hey, you know, send me a note and we can, I believe we can still chat if you've got questions. Um, and uh, of course, on, on GitHub, I'm also T. Hillerson. Perfect. All right. And those links will be included in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, Tony. Thank you. Thank you again to Tony for being on the show. And thank you for listening to Developer T. If you enjoyed today's episode, stop what you're doing, unless you're driving or doing something else dangerous, if you were to stop. Uh, Stop what you're doing and go and subscribe to uh, this podcast and whatever podcasting app you use. This will help you not miss out on any future episodes of Developer T. Thanks again to FreshBooks, the ridiculously easy to use online accounting software designed to help creative entrepreneurs get organized, save time and get paid faster. You can start getting paid and getting organized today by going to freshbooks.com slash developer T. Make sure you enter developer T in the how did you hear about us section when you sign up over there. That link and all of the other relevant links from today's episode can be found at spec.fm. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And until next time, enjoy your tea.